We are back for another episode of the regular podcast. It's your host, Kilo, and we are on the regular network. Now, thank y'all for joining me again. Thank you for joining us again. Before we do anything, please make sure you subscribe to the channel. We are trying to get these numbers up. We've been talking about a lot of good stuff lately. I think it's good anyway. Some of y'all think it's good. Um, Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Make sure you like the video, comment on the video, and share the video with your friends and even people who aren't your friends because, again, we need to get this message out there. Um, It's been a nice little break in between what just happened right before I started recording is the debate that Brian Kemp versus Stacey Abrams versus a Mr. Hazel debate in Georgia for the governor of Georgia. Um, It was a pretty interesting debate. Um, I will say that the Mr. Hazel, the libertarian candidate, he pretty much, he was in the way. He was pretty, he was not needed at all. He has no traction in Georgia. He will probably not even get the 2% of the independent votes that normally go to that side candidate. Like Georgia is heavily split directly between Kemp and Abrams. I don't see too many votes going to anybody else for that governor's race. Now, a quick recap, what I think of the what I think of that debate, I will say I think Stacey Abrams and Kemp stood there and Brian Kemp stood their ground in that debate. I don't think any one of them overwhelmed each other in any facet of the conversation. I don't think either one of them swayed any voters from the other side to switch to their side, which if you know anything about Georgia and how these politics go, people really just vote with their party. They don't really switch too much. They're not really looking to make changes or flop sides or whatever, even though Mr. Hazel, the libertarian, was a Republican the last election. Now he's going independent or libertarian. So that's whatever. But for the most part, people don't flip flop in Georgia a lot from Republican to Democrat. I know there's been a lot of talk um, in the FBA, Freedmen, ADOS community about not re- uh, not voting for any candidate that doesn't have a reparations platform. But that's not, they're not being flipped Republican. They're talking about not voting at all if they don't get what they want, right? Or if we don't get what we want, right? So that's not the same thing. And most of those people arguing are not even in Georgia, so don't count that. Right, so I'll say, I think Stacey Abrams did a good job uh, letting it be known because a lot of people forget that she has ha- has extensive history working with Republicans and, conser- and super conservative people when it comes to getting policy passed. One of the questions to Stacey Abrams was about if you win the governor, it's very likely that the state Congress will be will be pretty much p- controlled by Republicans. So how do you plan to get anything passed? And she let it be known that I have a track record of passing laws and, and getting policy passed with Republicans in power. That's her specialty. And if you think back to 2018, that was a lot of people's critique of her was that she worked with Republicans too much. That was a lot of Democrats' cr- critique of her is that she was kind of, they, they made it seem like she was like friendly with the Republicans or that she would kind of betray the Democratic Party if she was to win or if she was to become the Democratic candidate because she worked so closely with Republicans and what they call across the aisle to get so many things done. 
And she was known as the type of uh, person in politics when she was in state politics at the uh, representative level. She was known as the person that would kind of compromise on the entire plan just to get something passed, right? Some people look at that as you fold it to the Republicans, but I look at it and she does too. She looks at it as at least we got some of what we wanted, right? So I can respect somebody who they might compromise a little bit. Now, I'm not down with like, let's not compromise when it's talking about reparations, right? We don't want to compromise on that. Let's get our reparations, okay? And it needs to be specific to the people it should go to. But when you're talking about things like the Hope Scholarship in Georgia, when you're talking about things like how many people will be eligible for Medicaid, and when you're talking about things like, you know, voter registration policies and things like that, she she has had to bend in the past a little bit just so she can get something passed. Because if you just stand hard on your stance and you don't want to compromise, you won't get anything done. So I respect her for that. And she's right. She has extensive history of working with across the aisle to get things done. So she made that known. She also let it be known that she does have sheriff support in Georgia. She didn't name the sheriffs and she didn't say how many sheriffs she has supporting her. But she did say that she does have some sheriff support when Kemp tried to, Brian Kemp tried to challenge her on that. Um, I think Kemp stood, stood his ground as well. I mean, they tried to bring up, they, I think one of the first questions they asked him was, does he plan to enforce stricter laws as it, when it comes to abortion? And he pretty much said, no, I don't plan to do that. I plan on helping Georgians get through this tough economy with this inflation. He kept on bringing up the inflation issue. He kept on blaming Biden for the inflation issue and, and blaming Democrats as a whole, saying that his pretty much number one priority is help Georgians through this crazy inflation we're de dealing with right now. So he, he didn't let the abortion thing get him tripped up. and He didn't say anything crazy when it comes to abortion. Um, a question was asked to Kemp about some task force that he put together during the civil unrest back in 2020, where he sent officers where well, he sent some type of task force down to various cities in Georgia to help with, you know, I guess civil unrest, protests and things like that, where local police were standing by not doing anything. And he pretty much said, I was helping them before, but I don't plan to continue doing that. That that's not my job. He said that's not the job of the state office. The only reason that he had to do it before was because cities were allowing protesters to, to just destroy things. And the local police weren't doing anything about it. So I think they all gave, I mean, I, I think both Kemp and Abrams gave good answers to the questions. I don't think that they were really asked anything too tough. You know, they, they threw a few shots at each other, but nothing disrespectful. Like this is not, this wasn't like Trump and Biden. This wasn't like Herschel Walker and Warnock debate. This was a respectful people who, or don't want to look crazy in the media. This is that type of debate. So while this is a major election in Georgia, and while this is an election being watched by people who care about politics all across the country, it wasn't one of those like entertaining, hey, we found some jokes to laugh at type of debates. It was a serious political debate, something that reminds you of 10 years ago type of debate. So I think it was cool. Y'all let me know what y'all think about it. Um, and, and we could discuss it in the comments section or you know, wherever you want on social media, whatever. Now, I do want to talk about something real quick because I had, you know, I've been, I've been 
going through something here. And I will say for my for the first time really in life dealing with like a like a serious type of medical issue. And I only want to talk about it because I think we need to bring awareness to this. And we we talk about this stuff on Twitter and I've been talking about it on a regular podcast for years about how black people not getting the proper help in the medical system as we should. And there's this stereotype that black men, we don't go to the doctor and we don't go get help until it's too late. And I, I want to point out here, right? Black men, first, there's, there's two things here, right? Some black men don't go to the doctor because of past experience that we had or somebody in our family has had when it comes to discrimination or some bad care that they received. On the other hand, black men do go get care or do seek care, but the doctors are telling us that essentially there's nothing wrong with us when there really is something wrong with us. And that leads into my situation, right? I'm I'm a I'm not young anymore, but I'm early 30s. So that's young in the grand scheme of things, right? And I had a I had a did a blood test and it came back with some abnormalities in kidney function, right? And when I say abnormalities, not like kidney failure or anything like that, but just some abnormalities where it's a red flag. You know, let's get some early prevent some preventative measures going on, right? Because we see a problem here with kidney function, right? So the black doctor, I go the primary care physician, black doctor, a woman, an African woman, right? She sees the lab results and says, okay, refers me to a specialist. She says, I think a specialist should talk to you about this. I say, cool. I set up the appointment with the specialist. I go to the specialist. This is a white lady, like a middle-aged white lady. And, and the white lady is like, oh, no, this is, you just need to drink some water on the day you take a blood test. This is probably nothing. You probably just didn't have a big enough breakfast on that morning and your blood results look like this because you just need to drink water and eat. And I was like, um, I didn't do my, my, uh, my labs weren't early in the morning like that. It was around 11 o'clock. I had been eating and drinking that day. Normally as I know, as I do drinking water a lot. Y'all, y'all see me on the podcast. I keep, I keep some water. I'm drinking water all day. Right. Right. I'm drinking water all day. I'm telling her, excuse me, I'm telling this doctor, no, that couldn't have been the case. I couldn't. The, the, the lab results don't I don't think they look like that due to me not eating or drinking on that morning. She's like, no, I think that's what it is. And this is a doctor. So they in their mind, they're not about to argue with you. They're just telling you what it is. Uh, so she's like, I think you should do another one. But I'm going to put on the on the lab order non-fasting lab because in her mind I'm, I'm assuming that she thinks i'm lying about not eating for this lab because she sees the results they look off because of my age and i'm athletic looking i'm, I'm athletic i'm pretty active i'm in shape you know what i mean and i'm young and i'm too young for my results to look like that so in her mind i'm just dehydrated and i need to go back and do it she probably thinks I'm lying about not smoking. I don't smoke. She probably thinks I'm lying about not having had any drinks, any alcoholic drinks for the last six months. And this is the this is what black people run into. These are the type of things that push us away from the healthcare system. Fortunately, living in Atlanta, I have the option to, to say, I need to see see another specialist and I want to find a black specialist this time, right? 
in Atlanta, we have that that opportunity because we have so many black doctors. We have black doctors in pretty much any field you could think of. So we have that opportunity here. But when you think about most of the country, you're, you're not going to find a black doctor. For, there's black people that live all over the place, right? But there's not black doctors that specialize in anything all over the place and some things all over the place. You might find a couple black um, chiropractors in various locations, but for the most part, if, if you have an issue with your kidneys and you need to see a nephrologist, if you have an issue like a cardiac issue and you want to see one of the best specialists in the area, they won't be black. So you won't have the opportunity to just say, I need a second opinion from somebody who's not looking at this from a black people don't feel pain mindset and bias, right? Because being my age, my height, my weight, not obese, anything like that, in shape, fit, and for this lady to just say, oh, your numbers look like this because you, you need to eat more on the day that you take a blood test. This is the type of thing that leads to black men dying in our 50s from organ failure or organ disease, different organs in our body, organ disease. And this leads to the family members of the ones who die to say, I'm not dealing with doctors because they lie. They lied to my family members. They told my family member there was nothing wrong with them. <clears throat> Two years later, they were stage four, some disease. And then the doctor said, oh, my God, I can't believe you. You've been walking around like this. You should have passed out a year ago. Right. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to. to talk. And of course, I'm going to go get me a second opinion from another uh, specialist and all that type of stuff, because it it. There's there's different symptoms that I see now, now that I've been researching it and I didn't. I never thought anything about my kidneys because I, I thought that there would be more physical signs or physical symptoms like pain or things like that if I had an issue. And there's no physical pain with a lot of kidney issues. You don't feel it. <clears throat> but there's other, <clears throat> excuse me, but there's other symptoms that I had, but I didn't know that these were symptoms of kidney issues. You understand what I'm saying? So pretty much I want to bring that up to tell y'all. If, if you find some abnormal lab results, and no matter whether somebody else tells you that your lab results are abnormal or not, anytime you get a lab done and they give you the results, you research those numbers on your own. Look up how much of this specific chemical I need to have, what's a normal range for me to have in my blood, and then how much do I actually have. Do, do it on your own because these people will have you thinking that you are perfectly fine, perfectly healthy, because they have this mindset that black people don't feel pain. I've known people that have had cancer for years and a doctor telling them, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. And, and that person constantly going back to the doctor saying, no, I feel this pain in my, in my stomach. I don't know what's going on. And the doctor saying, no, you're fine. Then one day they go to a different specialist and the specialist is like, oh, no, you have stage four cancer. Because these doctors are not taking black pain seriously. And not even paying, they're not taking black health seriously. Still in 2022, we're still dealing with this right now, right? So I will say I'm about to be on a journey to lose some weight. This is my first time in my life ever having to lose weight. And it's not that I have to lose weight because I'm too heavy. It's that I have to lose weight because my organs are not set up for the weight that I have. And let me tell you about the weight that I have, right? For pretty much most of my life. I've been skinny, very skinny, right? So in sometime in my 20s, I'm, I'm 32 now, sometime in my, in my 20s, 
maybe when I was 20, sometime in my 20s, early 20s, I said, you know what, I need to start gaining weight. I want to get bulkier. But I just could not get bulky for a long time. I did everything that people suggested, you know, the experts suggested, you know, did the powders, did the high protein diets, counted the calories, made sure my calories, um, made sure I was way above my maintenance caloric intake. I did all of that type of stuff, but I couldn't gain weight at all. So then by about age 26, 27, I started to be able to gain weight. So then I, I'm in the gym heavy. I'm doing my chicken and fish thing. I'm, I'm eating healthy. I'm doing all that. And I've been able to, I finally was able to get my body above 195, 195 pounds at 6'2", right? So then I, I kept building up and I was able to get myself to 205, 205 pounds, right? Of muscle, pretty much, mostly muscle. So now I walk around, to me, it's like a more, it's comfortable because this is this is the size I wanted to be. If you if you think of, I'm around the size of what you would think like an NFL receiver would look like. That's pretty much the size that I am. I'm not as cut up as some of them because they work out a lot more than I do, but I'm around that size, right? Building everything. And, but I forced, I had to force my body to do it. I had to force my body to take on more muscle than it wanted to take on. You know what I'm saying, and I think that caused a shift in the in, in in how my kidneys were having to clean my blood out and some of the protein and, and the stuff and going on and some of the just the chemical imbalance in my body, right? So with that being said, I just want y'all to know I'm about to start documenting me losing weight. I'm trying to get down. I would say, all right, I'm gonna try to lose 10 pounds as soon as I can. But I'm not gonna do anything crazy. It won't be. It won't be a cocaine diet or nothing crazy like that. But I'm on a journey right now. I'm about to lose some weight, and I, I think I'll be able to lose weight for a long time. I tried to help and tell other people how to lose weight. So now, and when they haven't been able to do it, I kind of judge them a little bit. Like, man, it's so easy to lose weight. But we'll see now that it's my turn to have to do it. We'll see if I can actually get my weight down to around 190, which I'll have to probably lose 15 pounds for that, but let's start with 10 pounds for now. But I think I'll be a lot healthier when I get down to 190, let my body re-regulate itself, let my organs catch back up to what's going on, and, and let's stretch this life out as long as we can. Okay, make sure y'all make these doctors tell you what's going on with you. Don't take no for an answer, get a second opinion, do all of that. If you are uninsured, that's another situation. I'm sorry about that. I am insured. Um, I don't have the solution to that, but I will say, do whatever you can. Seek seek uh, natural healers. Do whatever you can, but pay attention to your body. Okay, learn anatomy, learn biology, learn physiology, and that'll make it a lot easier for you to monitor yourself. Okay, let me get into the meeting. Sorry, I probably talked about that longer than I should have, but let me. Um, there's there's some business news in the media this week. And I and it's crazy. Once again, I haven't seen many of our great black podcasters or radio shows discussing this. And I think it's because a lot of times when we talk about black business, we need the owner of the business to yell at us and tell us, hey guys, I'm a black owner. I'm a black business. I'm a black founder. I'm a, they, they, like a lot of us need it to be screamed at us. I don't. Okay. I'm really into this stuff. I'm really into black business. 
as, as much as we want to get reparations, we got multiple fights to happen, right? Part of that is paying attention to the people that are doing it right. That takes me to Vista Equity Partners, founded by Robert F. Smith. A lot of y'all have heard of Robert F. Smith before. Some of y'all haven't. A lot have. Most haven't, though. And it's because he's a, he's a black billionaire who doesn't run around always saying, hey, guys, look at me. I'm black and I run businesses. That's not what he does. And he's the most successful that we have in this country. One of the most successful in the world of any race, but definitely one of the most successful black men, black American men. In, a, in the country and in the, in the planet. Now, here's the headline. Vista Equity Partners to acquire cybersecurity company know before for $4.6 billion. That's what a big B. That's a capital B, right? So we, we talk about, we have, we have people out here bragging when they hit. Now, there's nothing. I, of course, you should brag when you hit a, bit, a billion dollar net worth. That's great because... That is something that a lot of people aspire to hit, and it's a great thing. But we have a black man who owns, who founded and owns a company who bought another company for $4 billion, right? Net worth is not everything. What is your business doing, right? That's very important. This black man founded this company and is now buying other companies, multi-billion dollar merger and acquisition deals let's look at let's look at it now no before the reason this stood out to me and the reason it came across my desk is because the company i work for actually uses this cybersecurity company okay let me read a little bit of it to you vista equity partners has agreed to a 4.6 billion dollar all cash deal to acquire no before a publicly traded cybersecurity company specializing in helping enterprise workers avoid phishing attacks now so as you just heard what I read, that will tell you what they do. They pretty much have software that, okay, so you hired them, know before. You become a client of theirs. And what they'll do is train your employees on how to avoid cybersecurity attacks on the company, mainly through phishing training emails and, and different things like that. So what they'll do is, first of all, there's a training that you have to do. For my company, we have to do it annually, right? But it's through this know before company, right? So you'll get on No Before's website, you'll go through their whole training course, and it'll teach you all the different up-to-date modern phishing attempts. You'll, they'll tell you everything the hackers are doing right now. They'll tell you the type of scams they're using. They'll tell you the, the ways that they're getting the information and then how they're using it in these attacks. They teach you everything, which is very valuable right now in a time when phishing attacks are through the roof, right? That's who No Before is, and Vista Equity Partners is buying them. Let's read some more. Under Vista's ownership, we will have access to additional resources and support, which will help us achieve our goals and deliver enhanced value to customers. Um, that's what the, the Noble Four CEO said in a press release. Founded in 2010. So this company is only 12 years old and they already are worth $4.6 billion. Uh, founded in 2010, Clearwater, Clearwater, Florida-based Noble4 delivers simulated phishing attacks via the web browser, offering a range of programs spanning videos, games, interactive modules, and more. It's about, it's about getting workers to know how to spot an attack and reduce the human error factor from a company's attack surface. So it's so good. Because, I don't know if y'all know, I work in IT, right? 
So it's, it's amazing to have a company like this to teach employees like, bro, you need to know what to look for so that you can avoid getting this company hacked because uh, companies large and small are being hacked right now and their bank account information is being seized from hackers. They're taking their information and then telling them, listen, give me millions and we'll give you the information back and you'll be good to go. So we need employees. Sometimes I get calls and I'm like, hey, I I'm in IT, get calls from users in our network and they'll say, hey, I just accidentally clicked on this thing. Um, I think it's, it's a scam or whatever, but I didn't mean to click it. I, I opened the attachment. They think they opened up some malicious, but they it scared them. So now they know they did something wrong, but really it came from no before. But they don't know that. Also, all we tell them is, hey, make sure you don't do that again. We clean it. We go on the computer, you know, clean it up a little bit, get rid of some old files that don't need to be there anymore. And we let them know, hey, when you see a file or when you see an email or when you see a link that looks like this, do not click it. And then that sticks in their mind. So what no before is doing is very, very valuable. I understand why they're worth $4 billion in 2022. The, let me, let me um, do some more scrolling here. Uh, another acquisition that Vista Equity Partners did, again, this is a black owned company, private company, a privately owned black company making multi-billion dollar deals and our, the majority of, I don't know if anybody else is talking about it, but the majority of our major black media platforms are not even talking about it. Everybody's too busy talking about Kanye West. Everybody's too busy talking about Glorilla's record deal. Everybody's too busy talking about Nori and Drink Champs. Like, that's good. That's entertaining. Like I talk about it too, but bro, there's more information out here for us to talk about. And we really, if, if, because all of the people that say they want to just though, ignore Kanye, okay, ignore Kanye. Let's talk about this. Why are y'all not talking about this billion dollars worth of black business that's happening? So um, Vista Equity Partners acquired a company called Avalara, right? And let me read a little bit about this for you. Avalara Inc., a leading provider of tax-compliant automation for businesses of all sizes, today announced it has entered into a definitive agreement to be acquired by Vista Equity Partners, a leading global investment firm focused exclusively on enterprise software, data, and technology-enabled businesses in partnership with institutional co-investors. Right? Under, this, under the terms of the agreement, Vista will acquire all outstanding shares of Avalara Common Stock for $93 a share or $93.50 per share in an all-cash transaction valued at $8.4 billion. That's a big bravo, big B, exclusive, inclusive of Avalara's net debt. The per share price, uh, the per share purchase price, oh, that's a tongue twister. Per share purchase price represents a premium of 27 cents over the company's closing share price as of July 6, 2022, the last trading day prior to media reports. Okay, so... And so that's just with two deals, right, that I just read to you, two deals within two months. Vista Equity Partners has acquired $12 billion worth of business. Again, Black-owned company, Black-founded company. So Robert Smith didn't go buy this company and then it was already big. He built this company from the ground up, starting in San Francisco. And in 2022, they are doing billion-dollar acquisitions. Multi-billion dollar acquisitions on each acquisition. 
Again, Avalara is a tax software that lets businesses uh, you know, pretty much automatically calculate tax for each jurisdiction, each tax jurisdiction, right? So let's say you make a sale. If, if you're a legit business, not like, you know, let's say you make a sale in Fulton County, Georgia, but you sold it to Kings County, New York. You need to calculate the sales tax based on the tax laws in the area that you are selling to and the area you're selling from because you have some jurisdictions who they collect tax they collect tax based on the point of origin of the sale right i think tennessee is like that it's based on the origin point whereas you got other places it depend you you the taxes are based on the place where the the item is being sold to right and again i'm in it so i know about avalara because i work with it and my company uses it this is one of the biggest uh, software pieces that we use that we need. It's mandatory for our business. I mean, when you're dealing with multi states and multi jurisdictions, you need good tax software, and Avalara is like that. So, for Vista Equity Partners to be purchasing them for 8.4 billion dollars, that's major. That that that's major, and I I think. I think we need to get a little bit into Robert F. Smith's story, man. I've I've been um you probably heard me talk about Robert Smith on the regular podcast going back at least five years, maybe more. I might have talked about him when I first started, but this dude is is serious. Let me read a little bit of his bio on his website. Okay. Robert F. Smith was born to two working class parents in a predominantly African American middle class neighborhood in Denver, Colorado. Now, let me stop there real quick. If you didn't know, Denver, Colorado does have black people. I know some people think Colorado, you just think mountains and white people. But I've been to Colorado Springs and I was surprised to see that there was a black community out there and they they support each other. Like they they have their area and they support each other. And it's beautiful out there. Like I love the mountains anyway. But to see like I, I would have never guessed I would see that many black people in Colorado. Not even joking. Right. I thought the only black people in Colorado were at the University of Colorado and the Denver Broncos team. There's actually black people out there. Okay. And I read about him some years ago and I found out that there was like a large, not a large, but there was a substantial black community in Denver, Colorado. And he, and Robert Smith said that the neighborhood he grew up in was full of black professionals. I think he said his parents were teachers and he said pretty much his whole neighborhood was black doctors, dentists, black engineers, black teachers, black, just all the black professionals. They all lived in this like big neighborhood full of black people doing good. And that that is what sparked his mind to feel like he was not an inferior person where he could go on and do amazing things. He went on to Cornell University. He, he got a degree in chemical engineering. Like, let me read some more of his bio. After graduating from Cornell University, he began working in industry at um, in an industry in applied research and development and received two U.S. and European patents and numerous awards. He graduated from with honors from Columbia Business School and entered the investment banking in mergers and acquisitions for Goldman Sachs in New York City, later later San Francisco. Um, to empower technology companies in enterprise software markets, Smith launched Vista Equity Partners, a global investment firm in 2000, in the year 2000. Today, Smith's, I'm sorry, 
Today, Smith is Vista's chairman and CEO. Under his leadership, the firm's portfolio has grown to include some of the world's leading enterprise software companies. Now, enterprise software is, is, is big for me because my journey into the tech space started from me. Well, it didn't start here, but it, it really got going from me learning Java, the Java programming language. And Java is known as the the, the enterprise software language of choice, right? It's biz, business software. A lot of business softwares around the world are written in Java. I might I don't know if you're familiar with what I'm talking about, but just know that, that that's what it was. Now, one thing about this man, you might have heard about him. This is the man who pledged all of that money to Morehouse to pay for all the graduation, all the graduates tuition. That's him. He paid off everybody's debt. He paid for everything that that graduating class owed. He paid it off. That's this man. So we, we talk. We dealing. We talking about some money here. Like some real. This dude is not like. You know, if a crash happened tomorrow, he wouldn't be broke. Like he would still be very rich. Okay, he's a very wealthy person. He he's at the level where. He's at the level where, his net worth, does not tell you the scope of his financial power. That's where he's at. You know what I'm saying? Like he's a rare situation. This dude is not regular. That's why I don't understand why more people don't talk about him. This dude is not, he needs to be taught about, you know, black people need to share the information about this man to each other. He's, he's the real deal. Throughout his life, Smith's commitment to philanthropy and equity has never wavered. And finding ways to make a difference in the communities where he lives and works is central to his character and approach to life. During his 2019 commencement address at Morehouse College, a historically black institution, Smith surprised the graduating class by pledging to pay off the entire class's student loan debt, a $34 million gift that helped nearly 400 graduates. He is also a major donor to the National Museum of African American History and Culture and chairman of Carnegie Hall and the chairman of the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights, among many others. Listen, I believe that he should be studied, man. Just like I talked to you about Lonnie Johnson, I think Robert F. Smith is also one of the most intelligent people on the planet. He overcame a lot to get into the industry to get into the industry that he's in and he's dominating in. Now, this is the thing, right? It should. This is why you should never have any shame in a job, having a job, because he, first of all, he went to school for chemical engineering. So, you know, he, he went to Cornell for chemical engineering. So he already had to be one of the sharpest tools in the tool belt, right? He decided he got a couple patents, U.S. and European patents, in chemical engineering, right? Then he went to school, Columbia, for business school and went to go work at Goldman Sachs. Now, that was the key. Going to work at Goldman Sachs taught him the game. It taught him the mergers and acquisitions game. That's why this is the business that he's in now. That's the, his whole business. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, all he does is go around buying up software companies. That's amazing. I really feel like this is something that we can learn from, whether we decide to go down his route or not. He decided to innovate, and he really is the only black person at that level doing anything even near that. Most white companies are not doing what he's doing, right? I think they say that he has a, a nine, his company, Vista Partners, 
Vista Equity Partners has a $94 billion portfolio right now, right? Again, black founder, black owner, still privately owned. Listen, man. Vista, Vista Equity is, is it's a serious company, man, and it's, it's founded by a very, very, very serious person. He also invests in black movies as well. He knows that a lot of black people have a hard time getting funding for their movies, so he invests in movies. Right? So if you have a script, if you if you got a good idea to make a movie and you have the means to make that movie, or you or you you have the idea and you have the access to the production crew, but you just need the funding, this is the you know, try to get your your, your script over to this man. He might fund it for you. That's how he is. He's funding independent movies out here for black creators and maybe some others as well. All right. So that's all I got for y'all. Make sure you follow uh, on Instagram at the regular network. Make sure you hit us up on Twitter, the reg podcast. Make sure you email me with any questions you might have. That is regpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you visit the website, the regular network.com. Check me out on or check us out on Reddit at the regular topics. That's all I got for you, man. Subscribe. Peace.